In the past 20 years, it's estimated that nearly 900,000 pangolins have been smuggled across Southeast Asia. With China having the greatest appetite for the mammal, both as meat and for use in traditional medicine, illegal trafficking across Asia has flourished. In season seven, we follow an intriguing network of journalists who have worked together to stop this illicit trade in order to save the highly endangered pangolin. Welcome to Sustainable Asia. I'm Marcy Trent Long. This is Season 7, The Pangolin Reports. In our first two episodes, Bonnie Ao, a Hong Kong-based journalist, and I spoke with reporters for The Pangolin Reports from China, Myanmar, Nepal, and Indonesia. Since we released these episodes, China has permanently banned wildlife trade for meat consumption in light of the coronavirus epidemic. Sadly, this ban doesn't include consumption of pangolin scales for medicinal purposes, so it's expected that China's demand for pangolins will continue. In this episode, we'll look at the illicit pangolin trade in Vietnam and Malaysia. We'll hear stories from local journalists about crime lords, online pangolin marketplaces, and the loss of pangolin habitat to deforestation. And woven throughout all these journeys, we'll see a pattern of breaking wildlife protection laws. Okay, so let's start with Vietnam. I'm Trang Bui, and I am a member of the Pangolin Reports Project. I have been working as a freelance journalist in Vietnam for over two years now. And before I worked at state media for one and a half years, my beat is environmental reporting. And the most recent project that I worked with was on pangolin trade. Trang traveled in Vietnam with Jiaming Xu the lead reporter from the Pangolin Report, featured in our first episode about Myanmar. Jiaming joined Trang in Hanoi to go undercover with her at a restaurant they had heard served pangolins. When they got there, they began haggling with the restaurant owner about arranging a special pangolin dinner. You have to buy the whole pangolin. Is that for how many people to eat? Yeah. About like tw- tw- if it's uh, five kilograms, and it would be enough for twenty. Twenty. Yeah, yeah. We may have ten people at most. Hmm. They they have private rooms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, the price was uh, eight million is for like cooking and everything. Everything. Yeah, not not for. So that's eight million Vietnamese dong per kilogram of pangolin, which is about three hundred and fifty U.S. dollars. If it ends up being 5 kilograms, a pangolin dinner for 20 people in a private room in Hanoi will cost about 1700 US dollars. In chatting with the restaurant owner, Trang also found out that the pangolin might be from Myanmar, Laos, or Vietnam. She wasn't sure yet. And the restaurant owner also said that many Vietnamese government officials eat pangolins. So is it common then for Vietnamese to also eat pangolins? Well, let's see what Trang tells us. 
I would say that Vietnam is the only other country that believes in the magics of uh, pangolin scales and bushmeat. So I think it's the second destination country in the world. Vietnam is quite uh, special uh, in the whole pangolin trade because it's placed at three rows. It's a source, a transit, and also a destination country. So Vietnam is home to two pangolin species. That's the source. And we just revealed that Vietnamese consume pangolins. That's the destination part. But what about their role as a transit country sending pangolins into China? So according to a report released in February this year, about 70% of all pangolin scale seizures between 2016 and 2019 were through Vietnam and Nigeria. Pangolin scales along the route were either smuggled on their own or in combination with ivory. That report was from the Wildlife Justice Commission, a group just like the Pangolin Reports that works undercover to investigate wildlife trade. So that's the transit part. And that transit role was new to Trang. What really surprised me when I was doing this investigation is that um, Vietnam is playing such a huge role in the whole trade. Uh, Like before doing this investigation, the trade is just not that popular in everyday life. But in fact, Vietnam is the second most destination of pangolin trade and also a very huge role in transiting the wildlife trade. But what's more surprising is that there's a lot of seizures in and out of Vietnam, but there's not a lot of reports on punishment or persecution of the culprit. So we rarely see a network kingpin being persecuted or being sent to jail. So I think that the story worth telling is that in Vietnam, there's not enough awareness and not enough punishment, I would say. And that it should be told that Vietnam's reputation is no less tainted than China when it comes to pangolin trafficking, because we are a country with the three roles that not a lot of country plays. So the Pangolin Report's investigation proved that pangolins are still available for consumption in Vietnam, and that network kingpins, as Trang called them, are not being brought to justice. This seems to be a similar story we keep sharing throughout Asia. So true. And Malaysia's no exception. When we talked to Elroy Yi, a lead reporter of the Pangolin Reports, and deputy executive producer at Rage Malaysia, he said, We spent many, many months talking to a lot of different people, and everyone has their own story. And even smugglers, even corrupt policemen, they have their own stories. Then Elroy described a crazy meeting with one of the kingpins of the Malaysia pangolin trade. One of them showed up to meet us with his daughter, and it's hard to get that image out of your mind. Here is a very corrupt person who has made baby millions out of smuggling pangolins across the borders. I had a hand in killing hundreds of thousands of pangolins, but he's there with his daughter and we're having supper with him. And you can't get that scene out of your head. It, it just doesn't work in your head. You know, the idea of a crime lord and a, a father. Aroar told me he found a reason that explains why this pangolin trafficking crime lord is still at large. Wildlife protection laws in Malaysia are generally pretty good, but the problem is that it's just worded in a way that doesn't criminalize selling and promoting and marketing of wildlife only possession. So that becomes sort of a loophole that traders exploit to make money. 
During Elroy's research, he found out that in Malaysia, wild animals like pangolins are not just facing danger from being smuggled for consumption. There's a growing interest amongst Malaysians to keep wildlife as pets. And because online wildlife traders don't actually take possession of the animals, they just broker the trade, they're technically not breaking the law. And many Malaysians that order the pets either don't realize or don't care that it's illegal. In fact, punishments for pangolin possession can range from $2,000 US to $60,000 US and include up to five years in prison. So Rage Malaysia, an online platform of video content created by The Star, Malaysia's top English daily newspaper, produced a video on their website explaining how Malaysia's online wildlife marketplace works. We've reproduced the audio here, but you can also find the original video at rage backslash pangolins. In Malaysia, illegal wildlife are being sold on social media as exotic pets. Business is booming. We looked at the situation first in 2014 in Malaysia. Elizabeth John, Senior Communications Officer at Traffic. And at that time, we were just looking at 14 Facebook groups. We found 68,000 active members in those groups. You know, people looking, buying, selling. But today, the trade has spread. It's grown bigger. There are hundreds and hundreds of groups out there. And not just on Facebook. Any uh, electronic platform to buy and sell, uh, wildlife is being bought and sold on those. These traders mostly supply exotic pets, but we found that they can also supply animals threatened with extinction. Elroy Yi explains. So these are messages exchanged with an online wildlife trader whom we approached to buy a pangolin from. Now, um, he says he usually does not offer pangolins for sale to customers, but once we approached him to buy a pangolin, he was basically able to offer us one within a week. And since then, whenever he has a pangolin, he would offer it to us. During their investigation into this illegal wildlife trade, Rage worked with Malaysia's Wildlife Department enforcement officers to set up the purchase of two pangolins in a sting operation. It turns out this online trader called Kajora Pets has been active for years. Elroy said he found out about them through environmentalists and conservationists who've been monitoring the trader's activities through social media. So in Malaysia, predominantly, the demand is for cute exotic animals that people can keep at home as pets. And then they take photos of it and um, show it on their Instagram. To be honest, it wasn't difficult to find this account Kajora Pets. He's been known to supply exotic pets to buyers in Malaysia, and he's been quite brazen about it. He doesn't seem like he operates with any sort of worry or he's never afraid that he might be caught because I think he knows that the law in Malaysia just cannot prosecute him for selling animals. They can only prosecute him for being in possession of uh, protected animals. Elroy also interviewed Dr. Xavier Jayakumar, the Minister of Water, Land and Natural Resources in Malaysia. Why, why can't people just put a stop to it? How do, how do you want us to stop the trade? I don't think we have the power to do that. If I advertise something on the, on the, in, the, in the internet, uh, but there is no 
further business sale or there's no other things I've done. It's just an advertisement on the, on the internet. So how do you stop that? So you, you have to catch a person uh, at it. That is, uh, if is, is the, the goods are exchanging hands and money is being paid for, uh, for that. And then, yes, then the law uh, will, will come into force to, to take action against the people who have done this. Elroy also wanted to know who's poaching the pangolins in Malaysia to support the internet trade. These are really hardcore criminals. They know the terrain. They have done this before. Uh, and the wildlife in their country is no more because of what they have done. Now they are coming into our country in order to chase after our wildlife. Because there's a market, there's a demand. People are willing to pay certain exorbitant prices for these animal parts. So they take the risk of coming in with uh, visit visas and then they disappear in our forest for four to five months. They collect whatever they can and then they try and leave. Malaysia is uh, known as a mega diverse country in terms of biodiversity. Uh, there are 13 of them in the world and Malaysia is one of them. And this is something that we must preserve. So we must pay attention to the wildlife in this country because it is part of us. That This country has given us a lot, so much so that we should be able to play our part in order to preserve them as well. But the story doesn't end there. Sadly, pangolins are not only threatened by illegal traders entering and operating in Malaysia, as described by Dr. Jayakumar earlier, they're also being threatened by a loss of habitat. Here's Elroy again. Our consumption habits threaten the forest through deforestation. Habitat loss is perhaps an even more pressing issue given that it doesn't just threaten the pangolins, it threatens other animals, other plants, and including the people who live in the forest and who depend on the forest for our livelihood. Elroy decided to go and visit this indigenous Temiar community in peninsular Malaysia. So these are people who've been living in the forest, but who've been moved around the forest through no choice of their own. So there's loggers who come in who would take down parts of the forest and they would have to move. Then the government would come in and say, look guys, it's not suitable for you to live here. Why don't you move here? And then they would move. And, um, and like at every step of the way, they just see the forest slowly degrading around them. So it doesn't provide as much bounty as it used to, doesn't provide as much food as it used to. So these are people who have sort of been cornered in a, land that, in a landscape that's so free and open. They've sort of been just cornered into this tiny little space. And it's an experience that I don't think anybody can even articulate, even people who are in that situation. And while Elroy was visiting the Temiar community, they found a pangolin curled up in a ball on the ground. And I think um, that moment, you know, when they caught a pangolin and he was showing it to us and he was telling us that um, there used to be a lot of these pangolins, a lot. Before, you know, everything happened, like before the loggers came and all that, there used to be a lot. But now it's hard to find one. And there was a short pause. And then he said, kind of like us, they have nowhere to go as well. So that's the punch in the gut. So you know, it's not just a story about losing pangolins. It's not just a story about losing wildlife. You know, human beings are involved. It's going to hit us as well someday. The same way that's affecting these people. You have to save the entire ecosystem. Every one of it matters because every time you lose one of them, a part disappears forever. And it changes the other parts, the other actors in this landscape. So we really need to think about protecting everybody and equally. In the next episode, we'll look at efforts in Asia 
to save penguins in wildlife rescue centers. Stories that will warm your heart. Season 7 of the Sustainable Asia podcast, The Pangolin Reports, was made in collaboration with China Dialogue and The Pangolin Reports. The season was hosted by me, Marcy Trent Long, produced by Bonnie Ao, with assistant producer Amber Ho. Sound engineering by Chris Wood. Credits to Rage Malaysia for letting us feature their videos. Check out their website at r.age.my backslash pangolins. Yufei Wu, Sam Columby, and Jill Baxter. Alexander Mobison created the intro-outro music made from repurposed and recovered waste items. You can find his work on www.kalelover.net. Subscribe to our podcast for more content and share our podcast with your friends if you support our work. To find out more about us, visit our website, sustainableasia.co, and follow us on Twitter at Sustainable Asia or Facebook, Sustainable Asia Co. Show notes for this podcast can be found in English and Mandarin at chinadialogue.net. Thank you and stay tuned for next week.